So Money Episode 607, Brian Balthazar, Vice President of Programming and Development for Scripps Networks. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a fun one. Because have you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes at a TV network? Do you ever dream of having your own TV talk show or being on reality TV? Come on, you know you want to be famous, right? (laughs) Well, my guest today has played a leading role running popular daytime TV programs, including Hoda and Kathy Lee on The Today Show, as well as The View. Brian Balthazar is here with advice on how to strike out on TV, as well as his own personal journey of rising the ranks in television as a programming developer and executive producer. Brian takes us back to the days that he was working in retail, then living in his car, not sure what his future would hold. Today, he is the vice president of programming and development for Scripps Networks, where he creates and directs a variety of shows for HDTV, DIY Network, and Great American Country. You may also recognize Brian as the fun and funny personality who appears on numerous shows, including The Wendy Williams Show, discussing pop culture and media headlines. Ready to have some fun? Here's Brian Balthazar. Brian Balthazar, you are so money. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Has anyone ever told you that you're so money? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's a first time for everything. Well, here we are. Well, you uh, have an incredible career and we were just talking about how we, it's funny, we, you and I have not been in the same room before, although we have had, uh, I've been on many of the shows that you've executive produced. Right. You, let's go back because I think your career and people just heard the introduction. You've have so many, you know, what is it, notches on your belt? Is that, is that, is that an expression? Yeah, I'll go with that. Yes, yeah. I do. Yes. The yeah. belt is starting to look a little worn. <laughs> <laughs> For as young as you are, you have such a, a diverse history of experiences working on all these different kinds of shows, launching Hoda and Kathy Lee, being at The View. Now you're at HDTV, correct? Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go back to when you graduated. Syracuse. Did you know that you wanted to be such a big player when it comes to television programming? I went through a really, that's very kind of you, first of all. Thank you very much. Um, That's why I'm here. I went through a really kind of murky period, which I think a lot of people do in college. I, I think as a kid, I always wanted to be in television, both on it and behind the scenes. And then I kind of, I was the first kid in my family to go to college. Um, So I didn't really have a guidebook, like get an internship, do this, do that. I didn't have a great advisor in college. I'm not going to lie. So he, uh, so I really didn't have any direction. So I ended up working in retail for about five or six years. And by the way, it's not a bad path. Like it was, it was a good Where did you work? The Gap? I was at William Sonoma, which actually, okay. if you're going to work in a store, I think it should be William Sonoma because there's great food they all around. They feed you. Yeah, they feed you. <laughs> I learned how to cook at William Sonoma. I love going in there just for the free samples. I'm not going to lie. It's true. Hey, that's what that's the, that's the point. You know, get people in because it smells amazing, and maybe they'll buy a six dollar spoon. Who knows? So you're at William Sonoma. Mm-hmm. At what for five years? At what point did you think 
you know what, it's time to move on. And then where did you go from there? How did you move on? Well, yeah, th- th- that was the tricky part. So I, I was at the Syracuse Williams-Sonoma, got promoted and moved to Buffalo, then got promoted again and moved to Boston. And that was finally a city I felt like I could do something with writing and television. Um, now, not that you can't do it in a local market, but I didn't know what I was doing. So um, the truth is, is I first said, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to be a freelance writer. I'm in a city that I want to be in and can see myself settling down in. It wasn't quite that simple um, as in result, but that was my aspiration. So from there, I had about every job known to man for about three to six months. I worked customer service for an insurance company. I worked for a psychic medium booking her appointments. I worked on a boat singing and dancing and serving lobster, like you name it. And those are all true. Um, and, you know, it was that classic case of I'm finding myself kind of scared to death. I remember putting po- poking holes in checks that I would write to bill companies because I thought if you poked a little hole in the little number at the bottom, that it would slow down the processing of the check. <laughs> I remember that because I don't, one, I didn't know if it worked and I didn't know if it bought me a day, but it's such a stark contrast to where I feel like I am today and where I don't have to worry about my finances like I once did. So I mm-hmm. hope that the message is, is like not to poke holes in your checks, but in fact to <laughs> hang in there. And keep working hard and being nice, because I think that's equally part of the formula, at least for me. Um, well, it sounds hard. like you did a lot of things scared. It also sounds like you never stayed still. You all were always busy, maybe not doing what you thought was your quote unquote passion or calling. Right. But there's, I mean, even when you're William Sonoma, I'm sure there were lessons learned. For sure. For sure. Every job I had taught me something, if not multiple things. Um, and ultimately the lesson was true. I I mean, sometimes I will say the fear of failure can be paralyzing, um, emotionally paralyzing, and it can stop you from making an effort or trying something, the fear, fear of not succeeding at it. But I think the the, not doing something is far more painful than trying it. And so I tried to get a mindset of like, what can I do today? One little thing, even if it's one thing and it's little, you know, the smallest a piece of clothing piled on top of each other, hence my laundry analogy, <laughs> becomes a really big pile eventually, you know? So if what's, you're doing that, it adds up. What's the scariest thing you've d- you've ever done? Well, I would say one of this, I, really it was confronting the fact that I did want to do things on television and I did want to, um, and one of the ways I did that was to take a stand-up comedy course just because I knew it would force me out of my comfort zone. And um, so doing stand-up the first time was pretty scary. I think so. I, I've thought about doing stand-up. Yeah. I don't know. I'm scared to death. Tell me well, how you got over the fear. I took the course because, you know, lots of people can, tonight, you could go to an open mic night and try your act. But I knew it wasn't, you know, I, I think that I wanted to learn technique. You know, there's more to, to being funny than just telling a story. Although telling a great story is really, can be very funny. But, you know, the structure and execution of humor is there's actually some technique that can be applied. But really, the ultimate reason was I knew that if I put money down on the table to do something, I was going to see it through. And usually these courses culminate in a, a performance at the end. So I'm like, I will do that performance, but usually I won't just go do it on a Tuesday night because I feel like it. I needed the the person that said, hey, it's Thursday, do it, you know. Right. And then, of course, paying for something, you feel like you just really have to do it. Absolutely, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So now let's fast forward. You were in, are in Boston. You're learning your craft. You're 
you launched Hoda and Kathy Lee. Congratulations, because that's kind of like it's so hard to have a show that lasts. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? And I will say first, thank you. And um, and foremost, thank you to Hoda and Kathy Lee, because it's a testament to truly the importance of chemistry on television. Is It's so key. So, I, you know, I think Hoda, Hoda and Kathy Lee have reached such a point where they, they don't they could just sit down in front of the camera without a single segment planned out and be amazing. However, you know, that's not really how TV works. It does take more than just the chemistry, but their chemistry is everything. And I was fortunate enough to be working hard and in the right place at the right time. Sometimes the stars all have to come into alignment. And I was very fortunate and I'm grateful, but, but I, you know, I was able to apply a lot of my experience leading up into that moment. Someone may be listening to the show right now. I think there's some people out there and myself included, and I have had the luck and privilege of having shows, you know, even if it was just one season, Hey, it aired. That's always uh, a good feeling, but you know, this concept of, I want a TV show. I want to be a talk show host, or I want to be the host of a show. It's a pie in the sky dream, but then it happens for some people. So tell us how it happens. How do you actually, if you're, if you're, if someone comes up to you and says, Brian, one day I'd really love to have my own TV show. I'm, yeah. I'm great. I'm a great interviewer. I'm, I'm an expert. I have whatever. What's, what do you say other than good luck? <laughs> well, I, well, a lot of people say to me, a lot of people say, everyone tells me I should have a reality show. That's how crazy I am and crazy my life is. Right. Hopefully, you know, that can happen occasionally, but what consistently amazes me is that is, that is their only pitch. Everyone says I should have one. Um, but there's this whole other subset of people who are doing a lot of work to establish an area of expertise. You know, like, what are you focusing? If you can narrow your field down to something, um, there ha- it doesn't, you don't have to, it doesn't even have to be one thing. But um, just to say, I should have a TV show. Well, get it. there's a long line of people who think they should have a TV show and a long line of people who probably would be great on TV. But there, there's another group of people and join that group where they are learning something uh, that they can speak expertly on. Now, granted, you, you may still get that reality show where you just get to kind of act foolishly and, and, and be a big personality or, or you could say, okay, I'm going to be the first and foremost expert on fill in the blank. And, um, and it, you, you can get it that way. So there's more than one way to do it. But I think by, by establishing some credibility, you can first of all start to get yourself in newspapers and magazines because sometimes that comes before TV. Everyone wants to l- jump right into network television. Um, a lot of people, when I was at the Today Show, there's like, I want to be on the Today Show. I'm like, well, have you done any TV before? No. Well, I said, pursue your local markets. There are TV shows. There are morning television shows in every city in the country, um, nearly. And so go after some of those because most network TV shows are going to want to see what you've done. Now you can do that now more than ever with your phone back, you know, 10 years ago when, um, when I was doing Kathy Lee and Hoda, that really didn't exist yet. And people were using video cameras and it was hard to edit. Now you can do so much on your phone. If you don't have anything to show what you can do, it's going to be very difficult to move forward. Right. And yes, I think, you know, 10 years ago, you needed a quote unquote reel with lots of different examples, but now people are starting their own YouTube channels with a huge following and that's social proof. And I think that's what the networks want to see now more than ever is that you you, you have a following or an audience somewhere else that they can leverage. 
Absolutely. Because there still is, you know, this this amazing social world where you can have tons of subscribers and tons of traffic. But so many of them really do still want that kind of the cachet and the broad uh, distribution of a TV show. And, and it can be done. I think it really is about getting yourself out there. And don't just wait for something to happen. You just can't wait for things to happen in life. You really have to go after them and have the courage not only to go after them, but to say out loud to people that that's what you want to do. Because when I started out, I didn't really have the courage to say what I wanted to do. And um, it slowed me down because there are a lot of people out there that will help you or give you suggestions or advice or connect you with someone. So first have the self-confidence to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to go after. That's okay. There's no shame in wanting something. Um, and uh, and then you'll you'll get the people to help you and you'll have the ability. If you can say it to yourself, you'll you'll have that much more ability to move forward and take action and make it happen. You're very entrepreneurial, Brian. How do you introduce yourself to people who have never met you when they ask, what do you do? Well, that's a good question because I'm really, really not sure always how to answer it. <laughs> Me either. Like, it's hard. Yeah. Um, so like, like I went to the eye doctor the other day and they ask your occupation. I'm like, I don't even know which one to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so sometimes I say, um, even though it makes me cringe a little bit, um, I say TV personality and de- and to television um, development. I can't even get it out. See, see how bad I am yeah. at this. TV uh, development, development producer or producer. development. Uh, I don't like the word executive. It sounds so, you know, like um, <laughs> programming and develop development TV producer. Yeah. I'm not able to say out loud what I do, but it's this, the quickest way to say it is TV personality and television show creator. Ugh. I like it though. But really going back to this entrepreneur hat that you wear, it's true because you have Pop Goes the Week is something that you totally thought up. And now I'm also a blogger and a writer. Yes. I'm just bragging about you because it's true. You're doing so much. I mean, some people would just be happy being like the guy who is an EP at HDTV or, you know, um, the co-EP of The View. You have a million things going on. Is that very much your personality? It sounds Yeah, it is. I, yeah. Because on weekends, I even I renovate and flip homes. So <laughs> no way. Yeah. So so it is difficult for me to sit still. Um, although I will say I love sitting. Like I love to sit. Uh, <laughs> like I'm tired. Sitting right I'm now. really tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say I, I, there, there are some advantages truthfully uh, to staying, remaining focused on one particular path or, mm-hmm. or two. I think um, for me personally, there are probably have been some things that I, I might be further along in some things if I had remained more focused on just one or two things. But I found that my personal satisfaction came from doing a lot of different things. Um, it, it, it is a challenge for sure, but it has ended up being also really pretty lucrative. You know, I mean, uh, on the topic of money there, I was, you know, told you the story of me poking holes in my checks. And at one time in Boston, we were driving down the street and my dad said, as he remarked uh, all these homes that were really expensive homes in downtown Boston, he's like, I can't believe the price of these homes. Brian, look at, you'll never own a house. And I remember it was just a soul crushing moment. He didn't, he didn't mean anything. Mm. He didn't, it wasn't his, he didn't like, you know, it wasn't that he didn't believe in me. It was just that he felt bad badly for me. And he thought that I'd never own a house. Well, I do own a house and now I flip them. So um, in a way it drove me, but I remember thinking, wow, you know, maybe I won't. Uh, So, so 
I worked really hard and, and I'm fortunate to have turned that around. And, uh, but I get that. I know that I know that feeling of thinking, oh, my God, will I ever own a house? Will mm-hmm. I ever be able to do that? Where is the money in television? Can you just tell me? I need to write this down. Oh, okay. (laughs) How do you make the big money in TV? Is it you sell a TV show? You become an EP of a show? Like, what is the, where is the money? on the genre. Like, so I will say there are some executive producers of syndicated talk shows. Like Kathy Lee and Hoda is not a syndicated talk show, but like um, the Wendy Williams show is a syndicated talk show. Um, um, Steve Harvey is a syndicated show. Um, Harry Connick Jr. is a syndicated show. Executive producers of those shows get sizable salaries for sure. So working towards that is a big one. Um, you can get as, it, you know, I, I'm quite comfortable in my salary here. I do very well. I don't, I don't make executive producer of a syndicated show money, but I do, I'm very financially stable here and, and grateful for the money I make here. Um, so this is, I'm technically the title at HGTV would be a programming executive, a, a, a vice president of programming and development. Um, on TV, this is probably a misconception that people have. There are a lot of people on TV that are not making a lot of money and spending a lot of time doing it. In other words, they're not making money somewhere else in exchange for a very low salary on a TV show that. Um, they are using as leverage to get commercial endorsements or, or spokesperson mm-hmm. endorsement fees. And it is a gamble. Um, people that think they're getting a TV show and it's in season one and think they're going to be millionaires or even making six figures are, are, would be surprised. Ratings are tough. Yeah. Don't, doesn't that bother you though? Because we don't just watch TV the way we used to watch TV 15 years ago yet. I feel like the rating system hasn't caught up to that. It's true. Yeah. And I think, um, there, the, the, the technology certainly exists, you know, for a long time, I think people, um, were like, we don't want to, you know, we talk a lot about privacy, but the truth is, I think, um, you know, the, the, the people who are, are giving us our television shows, I mean, the providers the like, you know, the cable companies or the satellite providers, they all know what we're watching when we're tuning out. Um, if we're skipping the commercials, they know all of that stuff. And yet we do ha- we do have a rating system that's a little bit different. Um, and it's difficult with all these new platforms. Digital platforms are competing with um, linear platforms, whether it's a broadcast network versus a Netflix. And so they all people watch those differently at different times. And and truthfully, Nielsen is trying to catch up and make make sense of it all. But it's happening at such a, a fast pace. So that's why I think you're seeing so much about followings and viral, like how things tend to go viral and advertisers being interested in a show because it's a buzzy show and maybe it isn't even making, mm-hmm. you know, some networks like the digital networks don't even say how many people are watching their shows because they don't have their regular advertisers. They have subscribers. So it's a really right. complicated time in the industry, but it's an exciting time. But if you want to be on TV, there are more places than ever to to try and get on. <laughs> right. That's the good news. You know, in fact, when I had my Yahoo show, I would get more, um, I felt like I had a bigger audience than any other thing that I've done. Yeah. And I've done CNBC and NBC. And, yep. and it was just like, I would get recognized. And I'm like, really? This little show that we do that airs sometimes on the homepage. But it was, it's a, you're right. There's so many platforms. And you can start your own. You can go on YouTube and do your own thing. Yeah. And I, I used to do a morning show on PIX11. And I would get more people recognizing me from that than the national shows. One, it's a New York show, but it's also, I was just kind of amazed, 
you know, but uh, yeah. Well, New York one news where I used to work, the, yep. it used to, they used to say, I don't know how true it is now that their ratings in New York city higher than the mm-hmm. today show in New York city. That's probably um, true. Yeah. And also partly, yeah, there are, there's, I think Fox five has had those days as well, where one, some of them are on a little earlier and they, they get that viewership really early. Um, but yeah, there are definitely uh, LA has the same situation with NBC's affiliate and ABC's affiliate. Good day. LA in many cases has beaten their local numbers as well. Well, I could talk shop with you for a long, long time, but I want to also get to why really we have you on the show and why listeners come to this show is to learn about money through the experiences of our guests. Great. So let's start and ask you, what is your money mantra? Do you have a financial philosophy? Well, um, I don't know if I really have a philosophy about it. Um, I, well, I will say this. Um, if I don't have the money, I don't buy it. Um, I do have mortgages out on um, two homes, but I don't have credit cards. I paid off my credit cards in my, I fell into the trap that so many of us do in our early twenties where it's really easy. At least it was at the time to get a credit card. And I racked up what was an incredible debt. It, it, it wasn't crippling, but it, it was, it was verging on a real problem. Um, and, uh, I used my car as collateral basically to finance that, uh, kind of repayment program. And then I got in a car accident and the car was totaled and the money that I got for the total car ended up going to that debt, whether I liked it or not. Like, so it paid off the debt. I don't suggest this plan, but, um, but once I realized that, you know, credit cards were not, I, I didn't have the skills at the time to manage them wisely and I didn't have money. So I was relying on them too much. So at, I'm in my forties now. I don't have a credit card and I don't necessarily know that this is, I don't necessarily recommend this, but um, I'm fortunate to have enough savings that I, I don't need to charge things. Now I could benefit from a lot of the points programs that, that credit and the reward programs that credit cards mm-hmm. offer. I do have a debit card and there is a credit on my bank account that, you know, that I can use as a credit card, but I have not applied to multiple credit cards. I don't use in-store credit cards at chain stores or when you go to a clothing store and they're like, would you like to save 10%? I bought one shirt. I don't need to save $3. <laughs> and they always ask you, I understand. They're so <laughs> aggressive. Yeah, like, I, mean, I know. Um, the other thing uh, I will say that for me, a uh, transformative moment, for me was when I really wanted to um, uh, get this little cottage out in Pennsylvania. So when I say I have uh, an additional house, it's out in Pennsylvania where real estate's really cheap um, comparatively to New York. Um, everything's relative, right? So um, I I wanted to be able to afford this mortgage payment on a home in Pennsylvania that was on the water, beautiful. But I wanted to make sure I really had the means. So I, I kind of thought of myself, I thought of my bank account, which you can look at online as kind of like CSI. And I wanted to do an autopsy on my bank account. So I went charge by charge to see what I was really spending my money on and how much of that was really necessary. Of course, some of the things I thought, yeah, I want to eat out. I want to have a social life. But I found that, oh, I subscribe to this every month. And I don't remember a lot of apps and a lot of magazines, websites, um, digital platforms are charging you by the month, whether you use it or not. And they will hook you in when you sign up. We're going to charge you by the month. Cancel at any time. And then you forget to cancel. So I think it's a healthy thing to do every year. Um, If you're not monitoring your, you know, you should really monitor monitor it monthly. But um, 
at the very least, every year, see exactly what you're really spending your money on. I use my taxes as an opportunity and my monthly statement as an opportunity. And and get the stuff out of there that you're not using. Really get it out of there. I like the word autopsy. Yeah. <laughs> We've used other words here on the show, like do an audit or yeah. one guess. Like CSI is a crime Yeah, I like scene. it. Well, of course, it, come from the TV guy. You're going to find something on your statement that you won't even know what it is. I happened to be yesterday. I was like, um, Angie's list, $9.99. I'm like, I don't even know what my username and password is to the site. I tried every single email that I have and nothing is working. Right. So um, that's going. It's 10 bucks, but it's whatever. It's 10 bucks. And if you're doing it monthly, then, you know, if you have four things that you're doing month, you know, a month, like I, there was a time when I was subscribing to Hulu and I really wasn't watching Hulu. Now I'm really watching Hulu. But at the time, I think it was seven bucks a month. I I have an app that I realized now recently, it's like a photo effect app and it's billing me $10 a month. Wow. $120 a year. And then you add in the digital platform that you may not be watching. Suddenly you've got $500. Well, first, you know, that's, that adds up to an insurance payment or a car payment or, you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah. And saved over like 10 years with interest. That's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a nice down payment on your next cottage. Right. Exactly. You have to think big picture when sometimes it's so hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is sure. hard. It is hard. Do you, did you feel like you learned anything about money growing up? What was the money temperature in your house growing up in terms of how comfortable you felt talking about it? Was it taboo? Um, it was not talked about much. Um, we, I knew, I knew that we weren't rich, but I didn't feel poor. Um, I knew that I couldn't have everything I wanted. Um, you know, at the time, holidays like birthdays and Christmas, were that was the time when you were hoping for something that you knew that they weren't going to buy you any other time of year. And I don't know that necessarily it was because they didn't have the money. Um, we were probably middle class uh, and uh, I think really smack in the middle. And um, and it wasn't that they didn't have the money, but they, they didn't spend money uh, flippantly or foolishly. And so I didn't need all the things I wanted because sometimes you just don't need all the things you want. They call That's why they call them wants and they call them needs. You know, they're different. <laughs> right. um, uh, I don't know that it was taboo, but, uh, you know, I was taught to balance my checkbook, but there was not a big discussion beyond that. And so I think that that's something where if I were to, you know, be parenting, which I am not, I'm parenting dogs, it's different, but um, I would be a, a lot more up upfront and forthcoming about the importance of talking about money. It shouldn't be taboo. I don't know that it was taboo in my house, but I understand that some people just don't feel comfortable talking about it for whatever reason. I think that's, I think more than half of our countries like that. We're a very cut off country when it comes to talking about money. Although I think we're getting better with it. I think the recession really Mm -hmm. opened up the dialogue, got people talking. And I wonder if like it has something to do with you know, people often view their self-worth with their income level. And they can, yes. if we're now suddenly in a position to compare what I make to another person, what they make, you know, we are, we are in a culture that likes to rank people. Yes. <laughs> you know, self-worth is now worth. And we like to use benchmarks and we like, yeah, mm-hmm. we like, yeah, I told, I completely agree. I actually think that we would rather, walk around naked than clothed with our salaries stapled to our foreheads. Yeah. Oh, that's a really, that's very interesting. You like that visual? (laughs) That's a great party question. Yeah. Which would you rather have your salary revealed or your boobs? 
right now I, I really, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a good answer. I don't want to do either. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, don't, I know it's, it's tough. I, I, I'm okay telling someone maybe in private yeah. um, that I trust and they're asking right. for a good reason, but I, yeah, it's, it's hard, yeah. but I think we need some level of transparency, especially for women. We get paid less than men. So it's important that we are out, outspoken about how much right. we earn. For sure. And, and, you know, even if we're not talking about income, it's like talking about how there is a a disparity between products that are marketed towards women and the men and the way they price them. And it's it's amazing that that's happening, but it's happening. I know. So we've got women making less and then having to pay more for things. Yeah. Why it should cost more for women to have deodorant is beyond (laughs) me, you know? Well, it's prettier. It's pink. and We made it pink for you. I mean, yeah. Well, the, you know what? The uh, when you ask the companies flat out, why do you charge more for the pink deodorant than the blue deodorant? They'll say because we actually spend more money promoting the pink deodorant too. Now, I would say that cutting holes in your checks is maybe a low point in your financial <laughs> life. You think? Well, <laughs> a little bit. What was the high? What name a high point? A so money moment. Okay, so um, well, the low point was when I was living in my car. I lived in my car for a little while, just the summer. Tell me about that. Take me there. Well, I made a conscious decision in Boston. I had a choice. Go back to Pennsylvania and live in this small town that I was in where I didn't feel like the opportunities were there. Or, and granted, I was not destitute. I was not homeless per se. I, I don't want to I don't want to like kind of belittle people who are really struggling with this. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to just stick it out in my car for a little while, sleep in my car for a month or so. And... um I knew it would kind of knock some sense into me and like make me work that much harder. And no, that's crazy. Um, a lot of people don't have that choice. Um, and so I don't want to like discredit. Yeah. That. I don't want to, you know, but, but for me, I was like, okay, I need to, like, I need to like realize that if I want to stay in this city, I need to step it up. Um, so, but, and I got through it. I did step it up. Um, and um, then my high point, I would say, you know, breaking the six figure barrier. And like you said, we talk about milestones. I was very, I really did want to, and it is again, like we talked about being uncomfortable talking about money and that this is a weird thing thing to, I don't think I've ever said it out loud. I think people probably assume, you know, um, but uh, that was a, that was a high point. I think it was really though, truthfully um, to be able to get that second house that I, that, that I go to on weekends. To me, it was, it's just, I never take that for granted. Every time I'm there, I think there was a time in my life that I thought it was hopeless and hopeless is a really terrible emotion because it drives people to think that they have nothing left to lose. They do foolish things. There is always hope. There really is always hope. I do deep down in my core believe that. Um, and you have to, sometimes it's harder to keep alive, keep that fire burning. But, um, but I do believe it. Um, but that's, that's, that's just something that I think of every time I go in that house. And it, mind you, it's not like, it's not a McMansion. It's not a mansion or even a McMansion. It's a modest home. But it's like, I know that many people don't have one home. So I right. feel very grateful. I know I work really hard. I really do. I work really hard for, for the money that I make. And um, so I, I, I don't feel like it was handed to me. And that, ma- that makes it that much more special. I don't think anyone doubts you don't work hard. I mean, just uh, your link, your LinkedIn profile alone <laughs> is, is uh, very impressive. And I think that it sounds like you've now entered and stepped into this mindset, this abundance mindset. I think when you're starting out and you're living in your car, it's 
clearly you're not, you don't have an abundance mindset. Maybe then you're like thinking money is limited and I'm never going to get there. I'm hope, hope is just not, mm-hmm. uh, an option. But, um, do you think that you have like the potential to make even more, you know, like, do you aspire to that? What do you aspire to financially right now? Um, I have been in a position to make more and said no to that. And even just for the sake of my own happy happiness, I've left jobs where I've made more. Um, uh, and then I've been offered uh, the possibility of making more that didn't pan out. So I feel like the possibilities are good for making significantly more money. Um, but I won't let it drive my decisions in such a way that it compromises my happiness or my self-worth. So, I mean, I've, I, because I've, I've been in that position where I really mm-hmm. felt like by taking that money, I feel like that money would not come without a cost. And the cost would be at my physical well-being, my emotional well-being, and my spiritual well-being. And so um, I'm very fortunate to be in that position that I can make that choice, Um but I do. I'm optimistic that more money will be out there. But um, if I didn't, if I didn't make more than I'm making today for for many years, I think I would still be okay. You know, I would definitely still be okay. Um, but of course, we all want to make a little more. <laughs> of course, I think part of how you do it is you continue to stay relevant and valuable to your industry and to what your craft. And I use right? a lot of face cream. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you're on TV too. You need a right, good skincare regimen. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You need a um, Botox thank budget. You. Thank no. you. It's getting harder and harder to stay relevant or up to date. I can't watch every reality show. I can't do it. So, and I won't. <laughs> What's your favorite? Oh, What's see, your real? Do you watch like Real Housewives? Like, what are your? Um, I are your, don't watch the Real Housewives. Isn't that terrible? Um, no, I think it's great. <laughs> I say it proudly, actually. But um, <laughs> um, I, I, I actually am kind of. I've been watching a lot of the news. There's a good, it's a good time to watch the news. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just starting to explore The Handmaid's Tale. I still like Great mm-hmm. British Baking Show because it's like easy. It's just easy. And I look at that food. I don't know if you've ever seen Great Brit- The Great British Baking Show. No, I've never heard of it. What uh, channel yes, is it on? It's, uh, it's always like we always get it a year later. It's a baking contest reality. Ex- like It's like an elimination show. I still like the classics, you know, like a, I like a Project Runway. I don't like, here's the thing. I am a no drama person. So I like scripted drama, like Scandal or um, How to get, get Away with Murder. I love Family Guy. I'm a little bit irreverent um, or American mm-hmm. Dad. Like I love a Seth MacFarlane comedy. I do. I, I, I say that sheepishly because I think people think he's crude, but I think he's hilarious and so wrong. Like he makes me cringe. Don't don't get me wrong. It still makes me cringe. If it's so wrong, I don't want it to be right. Whatever right. But the expression exactly. is. If this I is wrong, bed, I don't want it to be right. So funny. I go to bed to the Golden Girls. <laughs> oh, I love the Golden Girls. I love, Golden I love Girls. Three's Company. I fall asleep with the TV on and the timer is on, so it'll turn off. And I won't force myself to stay awake because I've seen it. I know what happens. <laughs> Look. I can't watch a show at night that I'm going to be like, oh, I better stay up and watch this because I really just want to like zone out. And I watched so, I so much, watch TV much TV growing up. Anymore. Did you, you watch, watch a lot of TV? I, I got rid of cable. Don't tell anyone. No, I don't well, blame you. Like, there, I don't blame you because that's a great way to cut costs. There are these mini bundles. Like Roku has a great mini bundle where you can watch HGTV and you can watch uh, – Hulu has it. Like, I mean, I'm really getting closer to cutting the cord myself. I, my, I shouldn't say that too loudly. Yeah. But. I mean, honestly, Brian, I'm probably not spending less on on – streaming and content, but it's just that I'm getting now what I actually want to watch. Yeah. 
with exactly. cable, I feel like I watched three, I watched news and mm-hmm. some cable, but mostly it was sports and we're not a sports fan household. So we got rid of it. And if there was a game that we want to catch, we get together with friends and watch it at right. their house. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't feel like I miss out. I watch a lot of uh, movies later. Like I, I did watch Wonder Woman in theaters because you have to watch that in theaters. But I, I like to watch a lot of movies on demand. I love on demand. I love that freedom um, uh, and flexibility. All right, I, let's I, do some let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Okay. And then you're going to tell me how I can get my own money show. Money is so hard to make a TV show. I will just say that. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, it is hard for it's sure. Like, like so, I've been pitched so many things that have never come to fruition. Like we want to do the doctors, but a money show yeah, with awesome. money experts. Isn't that a good idea? Um, of course right. I think so. Cause I'm a total money geek. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just hard. It's a hard sell, but okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is. Oh, well, it does depend on the size of the payout, but I, I would, <laughs> yeah. I, would ball. I, I really would, I would take a break. I would take, I, I would just take, truthfully, I would only take like four weeks off. I would want to get back to my job, but I would like, I would just say, and I think my company would be amazing with it. Like, I don't want to quit. I just need four weeks off to get my head on straight and lay down on a beach somewhere and not worry. Like, you know, because we can't help but worry a little bit about, but so I would, that's what I would do. And then from there, I would probably buy, I would really buy real estate because it is one of the few investments that's physical in nature, that tangible, that you, uh, that I feel like you can, if you make it better, you'll get a return on that if you're careful and uh, a lot of the factors that can yes. play into it or a rental property that you can pay off and then have that rental income come in. I'm with you. I'm obsessed with real estate. I read the real estate section of the Times. The first thing I do on, on the weekends is open yep. up that section. Great. When I spend money to make my life easier or better or both, I spend on... Oh, um, lately I've been buying a lot of smart, uh, items for my home. Like, uh, I have a digital thermometer. I have a nest system with where I can check in on my dogs. I can adjust my thermometers before I get to the house. I can program them. Uh, I love good food. Like I'm obsessed with good food. Um, and so I love to cook. Um, and so I like to, I like to spend money on nice dinners out, but I also love cooking food at home. So I do spend a little bit more on food, but it's not processed food. So I feel like I can justify mm-hmm. it that way. <laughs> a New Yorker who loves to cook. You are a rarity <laughs> who actually cooks. Like people probably love cooking the idea of it, but oh, I really do, do. every all weekend. I love to cook if I'm not like, if I'm not painting or sanding something. <laughs> You're a Renaissance man. <laughs> I guess I'm like yeah. one of those um, splattered paintings, you know? I love it. You do so much. You're like, in, you, um, I, I'm, I'm gushing now, but oh, I mean it. You're, you're I mean too it. Kind. No, it's true. Um, all right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money. Oh, um, the one thing I wish I'd learned about money. Um, I wish I'd learned about how credit cards work beforehand. Like really learned what the consequences can be and had some right. real reality case, you know, some real case studies of what can happen. You know, no one told me that either. I mean, I opened up a f- couple of new credit cards in college and I just remember thinking, really, all I have to pay is $12, even though my balance is $400, you know? Yeah. Great. Sign me up. But yeah. uh, that's no good. 
And then last but not least, I'm Brian Balthazar. I'm so money because. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm out. It's not, I don't want to be boastful. Let's see. I'm so money because, because I work hard and, oh, wow, this is hard. This is a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, I don't want to brag. And I, so my response is just, you know, think of it maybe as something that you're really proud of, uh, that, you know, it doesn't have to be even about money, you know, it could just be like, I'm really so money because I'm so money because I'm working hard. I'm, and I'm being nice. (laughs) You are so nice. I'm trying. I try it. Like, I think the truth is, is if I, one other, like, career path note to anyone who's like trying to build a career is one, I hope it's not, I hope it's a given to be nice to people, but I will tell you also, it does come back to you. It really does. And also you'll run into those people again. You may think you're not going to see those people again. If you stay in the same town, including New York, which may have what, 8 million, 9 million people. um, You're still going to run into those, those same people if you stay in the same field and um, it's going to pay off in, in, in a great many ways and also it encourages people to be nice right back <laughs> what you, you get what you give you get right, what you give, right? exactly brian balthazar thank you so much i've been smiling this entire 30 minutes oh thank you thank Your you delight thank you so much to Brian for stopping by his website, a couple websites, brianbalthazar.com. You can also go to popgoestheweek.com and Brian is on Twitter at Brian Balthazar. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com where you can uh, download the podcast, download the transcript, and also leave me a question for the Friday Ask Farnoosh sessions. I want to hear from you. What's on your money mind? Are you struggling with debt? Do you want to make more money? Do you want to switch jobs? Let me know. Contact me through somoneypodcast.com by clicking on Ask Farnoosh and we will connect. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.